Hi everyone, Marius Masselar here bringing you a very exciting interview edition of the Soundcast. Today I'm speaking to highly acclaimed video game, film, and television composer Richard Jakes. Welcome to the Soundcast, Richard. Hey, how are you doing? Very good. Glad to have you here. Nice to be here. All right, so just to start off here, you were sort of a pioneer in the sense that you uh, were one of the first composers to start bringing the large, intricate orchestral sound to the video game medium. And actually, one of your earliest works was, was my introduction to your music, and I'm thinking of Headhunter here. For our listeners who don't know this little tidbit, Headhunter was actually the first video game score to be recorded at Abbey Roads with the uh, London Session Orchestra. Now, I'm curious, how, how did you go about pitching that? I mean, you know, as a first-time thing, how did, you, how did you pitch that to the studio and get them to accept it? Sure, well, that's a, a very good question. Um, I mean, it was back in about 2000 when Headhunter was in development, um, and the director of the game said to me that he wanted a very sort of big cinematic um, soundtrack, big sort of Hollywood movie-style soundtrack. And there had been a couple of um, orchestral soundtracks in games, so Headhunter was one of the first. I don't think it was actually the first, but it was certainly the, the first one to be done at Abbey Road with the, the players that were used. So, I mean, after doing some, some mock-ups using my sample libraries, I sort of demonstrated the style of music that I was thinking. It was a very big uh, action soundtrack, very sort of modern production, very big action uh, cinematic soundtrack that, that he was looking for. Yeah. So I wrote about three cues, um, one of which was the main theme, which is Jack's theme, who's the lead character in the game um, and then you know we said about you know doing some budgets and things like that and and working everything out of how we were going to work on the production and I basically submitted the ideas and the production and you know suggested that we can invite some of the press down as well because it would be quite a rare uh, treat for them as well certainly the gaming media uh, press so um yeah basically got a, got the budget signed off and I spent about four or five months working on that score and and we recorded uh I think it's January the 29th to the 31st, 2001, which was the last score to be recorded before they refurbished the control room in uh, Studio One in Abbey Road. Oh, wow. That's actually cool that you invited the press as well, sort of acknowledging that this would be a big event for the, you know, for the industry itself, not just for the particular project. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I think... You know, certain people may think it's all about, you know, kind of the composer's ego, and it actually has nothing to do with that. It's all about following the techniques that had been used in the film industry for, for many years previous. And in my opinion, you know, when we're doing a big orchestral soundtrack, that is how it's done. You go to, you know, a professional studio with the best players that you can afford, and you do a great soundtrack, and you mix it, and you master it, and it goes in the game. So it was really just a question of, you know, knowing those production values that I had for, for many years previous to that, and, and just being lucky enough to have a project like Headhunter where we could actually go and, and realize that. Yeah, and, and I assume that, uh, you know, it's not every project that has the kind of budgetary flexibility to even allow 
you know this kind of thing to be considered yeah of course not i mean you know all composers have to be flexible with their budget and it depends on the the project that's in development we all have to be fairly creative with um you know the production budgets that are out there um you know across the board in, in film tv and in games and i think it is up to the composer to always be as, as flexible and as creative as he or she can be to to, to really get the best quality production i mean it doesn't always have to be a hundred piece orchestra at abbey road you know an orchestral score might not be appropriate to every project um that i'm working on certainly so you know it, it's a composer's choice at the end of the day and, and for them to employ their kind of expertise and their contacts and, and know-how to actually go ahead and, and produce the best score they can yeah and it, it's good to hear that you're actually a fan of, of using live musicians because now that virtual instruments and samples are, are getting to the point where they're you know they're often quite realistic and um, you know, sometimes they're kind of in quotation marks good enough for some directors, it's good that there are at least uh, some people out there that still push for the live musicians and that extra bit of, you know, authenticity that you still just can't fake. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, my background is I was a classically trained trombone player, so I spent 20 years playing in orchestras, so I, I know the benefits of, of live musicians. I mean, you know, using sample libraries and virtual instruments are a great tool for, for a composer and, and to be able to to demo ideas and suggestions and your own sort of vision for the project to you know the creative people, producers, directors, etc. But I think if you put any um, electronically produced score next to a live produced score, you know, there's just no comparison. The uh, you know the amount of musicianship and sort of humanity that's brought to a piece of music by by using live players, it's down to their experience, their interpretation of the music. You know, they actually add a lot to um to a piece of music once it's been composed. And I think that's that's often overlooked by the fact that, you know, we do have some libraries that do sound like strings and some that sound like brass, but they're 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 never really going to be the real thing in my opinion. Although I think they've they've come along um, a lot in recent years, and I, I'm certainly enjoy working with them to actually realise my ideas. But um, budget, you know, budgets permitting, I would always go and do it live, no question. Um, but you know, as I said, there's a place for, for libraries around. I mean, you know, they are great to work with. I think some of the sort of new new breed of composers that maybe haven't studied um, classical music seem to kind of think that this is the norm, and and um, that's what they should. You know, they're so used to hearing sample libraries now that they think that's that's kind of the best. But but they they all sound a little bit stale, and there's no sort of interpretation. They sound very flat dynamically and things like that. So, given the choice, you know, for me it would always be live, no question. And I'm actually, I'm going to follow up on that because there's an interesting sort of trend that I've noticed for these younger composers. Sometimes it's very tempting to almost write to the samples and, and to the strengths yeah. of the samples rather than using your full imagination and writing for the actual legitimate instruments. Do you feel that that's kind of almost crippling the musical voice of the new generation? Um, I do in a way, yeah. I think, you know, music's quite an accessible thing to do these days. You know, we have various bits of software that, that you know, all sound great and are relatively accessible to actually create a piece of music with. But I think, you know, a lot of people have forgotten about the traditional schooling and, and actually learn the fundamentals of music theory and harmony and your composition, etc. And those really are the fundamentals of music to, to go on to do you know, this kind of composition, orchestral composition or whatever the composer wants to do. So I think, in a way, the, the kind of education establishments need to take that on board, just as video game companies or um, 
film companies, etc., to, to realise that the, the standard that they're looking for can be done. But I think a lot of students need to really follow a traditional path and, and not just learn how to use some software. I mean, I, I have a student intern with me for a year and I'm kind of helping him shape his career that he, he wants to follow in the future. And I'm sort of saying all about, you know, you, you've got to study harmony, you've got to study rhythm, you've got to study music history, etc., etc. Those are the building blocks of all kinds of music. So it's really, really important for any um, upcoming composers out there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm, and I'm happy to hear you say that because sometimes, like I said, it's, it's just so tempting with the libraries being so accessible and sounding, you know, within their strength areas, very, very convincing that it's almost, you know, you don't want to go outside of that because then it suddenly sounds like a mock-up again and no that's uh, true i mean we all spend many hours programming using the libraries and as i said they're great to use and they are very high quality but um i use them more as a, as a realization tool when i'm orchestrating or when i'm trying ideas out but i would never write to the libraries i mean i, I actually tinker with some of the libraries myself and maybe extend the ranges of the instruments because i know specialist players can can play higher especially in the brass um, and things like that i, I may merge two or three sounds together where the library manufacturers may think that's absolute sacrilege but it's that's the effect I want and I know it's possible with human beings so I will go ahead and do that. Now since Headhunter you've uh, obviously been keeping busy with some other pretty major titles um, I'm thinking of Mass Effect and uh, actually Alice in Wonderland I'm curious about how it was like to work on uh, well we'll start with Mass Effect because you were part of a, a team of composers there that's right. There were uh, four composers on Mass Effect. Um, Jack Wall was the lead composer, along with Sam Hulick, and then uh, myself and David Cates provided about 30 minutes of additional music each. Um, so it was a great project to work on. I mean, I'm you know very good friends with the other composers anyway, and it was a huge uh, project, huge amount of music. I was doing a lot of the cinematic music, um, so I was working with some of their themes and some of my own, and um, you know just just working on the cinematics. And a few of the cues actually went to the in-game score as well, which was nice. But it was just the, the scope of a project like that is so huge. You know, there's something like 30, 40,000 lines of dialogue and multiple branching plot lines, etc. It was definitely a lot of work and. Um, fairly short period of time. I think I only had about three or four weeks on it, so it was um, pretty, pretty full on in terms of scheduling. But um, you know, having that that amazing story. I mean, but you know, Bioware just just creates some incredible storylines, and um, I, you know, I'm all about the deep narrative these days. Those are the things that really, really interest me. So it was a you know great project to be on, and you know, a mixture of um, orchestral and electronica and sci-fi, and you know, it was just a, a great uh, creative uh, opportunity, really. And then, yeah, Alice in Wonderland was uh, another great project to work on. That was um, being produced along the same time as the uh, the film. Um, so I started the project uh, last uh, September, I believe. Um, and we have about an hour's worth of music in the game. It's totally new material, totally new themes. Um, it's not related to the uh, film score in any way. So, yeah, I mean, you know... It's a, it's a great opportunity to have a sort of mystical, magical, fantasy type type uh, project to score. I think for any composer, they would really get their teeth into that. It was nice to be able to involve a lot of woodwind in that soundtrack. That's, you know, contrabass clarinets, etc. you know, uh, flutes, piccolos, oboes, coronglo. You know, it, it was a great opportunity to get that kind of textual uh, feel to it. But altogether, really, really good fun. And, yeah, very pleased with the way the score turned out. And um, and actually, the games both did very well, both on the uh, the Wii and the DS platforms. They were, you know... The, 
they were very good games in their own right. And you know what? Sometimes um, you know games of movie franchises are given given a bit of a hard time, I think, by the the press and you know some of the media and some of the gamers. But um, it was nice that Tim Burton let them have quite a quite a free reign of the design of the game, so it worked out really well. So I was going to follow up and, and ask how you approached a project like Alice that's got, I mean, the, the mythology behind the Alice in Wonderland story is so rich and there have been so many interpretations. How do you bring a fresh voice to that? Um, it was interesting to see uh, Tim Burton's take on it because, of course, we, we did have access to some of the visuals and to some of the plot lines, etc. So so we were already able to see his twist on the uh the title itself. It was a question of getting the right tone for the game, I think, and, and um, I wrote the main theme uh, for the game first of all, and we sort of discussed that with Disney, and they said it was the, you know definitely the right approach and, and to sort of carry on. So I was, I was having regular trips down to the developer in uh, in Lyon in France to um, to look at their visuals and discuss music direction with the audio director there, um, and kind of fleshed it out like that really. I mean, I was fortunate that the uh, the producer who hired me for the project has has known of my work for many years, and he just said this is perfect for me. And I, I don't think they even looked at another composer, which was a you know a real honour and uh, a real nice. Um, he obviously knew um, knew my style and knew it would be a good match, and and hopefully um, hopefully people would agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've actually I, I feel bad because I haven't had a chance to listen to the full Alice uh, score that you did. I've I've just heard <laughs> no clips. Problem. Um, but what I have been listening to thoroughly is obviously the more recent project that we're here to talk about, which is also based on a film franchise, which is the latest James Bond game, Bloodstone. That's correct. And I'm curious, you know, I mean, starting out here, how did you how did you get involved with that? Um, well, it's going back probably 18 months, two years now. Um, the developer of the game is Bizarre Creations, who is a developer based over here in the UK. They've worked on um, many projects like the Project Gotham Racing series, uh, The Club, which I also scored for them, um, and a number of other titles for various platforms. So um, they're, uh, they're part of Activision, and we knew they were going to be developing the James Bond game. And I had a, a good existing relationship with the audio director um, at Bizarre Creations, and there were a, quite a number of people that were in the pitching process, I believe, for this project. Um, I think one thing that that um, you know went in my favour is that I'm based over here, and the game is being made here, so I could be in regular contact. But also, one of the things for me is that I, I know so many people connected with the, the James Bond franchise. Anyway, I know the majority of all the all the uh, orchestral players. I know one of the sound designers. I know one of the music supervisors. I've worked with uh, Shirley Bassey on an album, so it's, wow. it's kind of a lot of uh, a lot of different facets from all angles that, that, in a way, sort of came together. And you know, having scored Headhunter, there was a lot of reviews from Headhunter that said this is this is kind of like an ideal James Bond score. So, you know, I've got to admit, it's something that I'd have you know loved to do anyway. And um, just having the opportunity was amazing. So yeah, it would have been an ideal uh, project for any composer. But I, you know, I, I believe in writing. You know, big action themes and scoring appropriately, and you know, big production where where is needed. Also, I have quite a big uh, jazz training as well. So, you know, any Bond score, there's an element of jazz there that's that's mixed in with the the orchestral symphonic writing. So it was it was kind of an ideal um, melting pot of of um, different parts of of my career and my background, along with the uh, the work I'd done in games and uh, the sort of recording side as well. So it was, a, it was an ideal project that just everything just sort of came together at the right time really 
I actually, you know, listening to the score, that's the impression that I got. I mean, you're you're really it feels like you're bringing together all of your strengths into this score. I mean, there's there's shades of the, you know, headhunter action scoring. There's very very lush orchestration. There's a definite jazzy flair to it that you expect. Now, I'm curious when it comes to themes, did you get the opportunity to work with any of the main themes directly or did you have to reinvent an entirely new set of themes? Um, it's an entirely new score, so there's no reference to any of the the, uh, the movie themes. For the simple reason is it's a brand new adventure. Um, you know, Bloodstone um, is a game that's been written by Bruce Feirstein, the uh, screenwriter, uh, veteran Bond screenwriter. Um, therefore, it doesn't really pay um, any homage to any of the, the films gone by, although it's very much Daniel Craig's Bond, it's very much a modern Bond and it's very much his, his character that it is in the game. So in a way it gave me plenty of scope and plenty of opportunity to create new themes. I mean, there's, there's two principal themes that run throughout and there's about three sub-themes and that's, that's primarily the, the game theme itself or the Bloodstone theme as we called it. Um, and then there's a, there's a theme for the, uh, for the lead character which is played by Josh Stone. Um, and there's a kind of interplay between the two throughout the score. I mean, we've used sort of leitmotif and repetition as well, as you would expect in a, in a Bond soundtrack. Yeah. Um, but there's a number of cues which we do play around quite heavily with the themes and adapt them um, for different settings. And, you know, I was, I was pleased with the way it came out because that was always the, the goal from the beginning um, is to score it that way. But then again, you know, when you start writing Bond themes, uh, you, you don't want to... You don't want to make them sound too similar to anything that's gone before, but they've got to sound like Bond. And Bond, in a way, is a style in its own right, because it does have that kind of jazz and symphonic crossover, um, which is something I really enjoyed doing. And, you know, with my jazz background, I, was, I sort of know... Yeah, you're right at home. To, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I felt, felt quite comfortable. We wanted it to be a classic Bond score, as well as being in, in the Daniel Craig mold and, and the modern Bond score with sort of contemporary production. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of electronic sounds in there as well, as you would expect in a, in a modern, modern production uh, Bond soundtrack. But also, I think the score has a, a large degree of sort of swagger and, and swing to it. I mean, it's not a jazz score at all, but it does have that element of what you would have expected from a Bond score back in the day, but we've, we've tried to sort of bring that up to date and mix that with some modern production, some electronics. There's, there's a lot of ethnic material in there as well um, due to a number of the settings in the game where, where the character travels to Istanbul and Bangkok and Siberia, etc. So we, we have the ethnic flavour in there as well. sort of step back from the score now what elements are you most proud of i mean what are you hoping that the fans will latch on to and really engage with in the score well i hope that they'll like the fact that it's a, a sort of a classic bond score it really makes the player feel like bond you have these classic action set pieces which you know the the music is timed in a way that that's very sort of cinematic in the game in the way the music's implemented so you know, without giving anything away um, in the story, I, I just think there's a, there's a number of moments when you'll feel that you really are Bond. You know, in some of the driving sections, for example, you you really get that that feeling, that that almost euphoric feeling when you have the trumpet screaming away, and you might get a big action theme, big melody. That those are to me what a classic Bond moment is musically, and I think that's that's hopefully what people are going to like about about the game and the score, and you know, playing through the game and actually experiencing that themselves 
also, I mean, I'm I'm pleased with the the themes that we got. I think um, I think they're definitely uh, good good Bond music. That got good Bond themes. Um, but also, you know, having a bit of my own voice in there as well. Um, you know, as you said, you can hear a bit of the sort of Headhunter thing as well. So it's it's definitely a an actual score that I, definitely a Bond score that I've kind of put together myself rather than try to emulate anything else too much. And you know, Bond scores always have a, a, a large degree of um, variety. You've got all the action things, but like you said, you've got your romance, you've got intrigue and mystery and all those kind of things. So it's always a really good fun thing to score, and I hope that the fans will, um, will get something out of it um, in that way as well. I'm curious, what attracts you to scoring games specifically? I mean, you've done some work for other mediums, if I'm not mistaken, but sure. you keep coming back to games. So what is it about the medium itself that keeps you know attracting you? Um, I think one thing is the challenge both creatively and technically you know we have great degree of technical challenges in video games that don't exist so much in TV and film and other linear media the interactive nature of video game music is, is one thing that does appeal to me um, and in Bloodstone uh, for example we've got a lot of layered interactive scores we've got a lot of other approaches to the way we've done the music interactively and it makes such a difference when those elements all come together um, you know it's, it's technically very quite difficult and it's challenging and it's very time consuming and it's a real labor of love for the composer sort of you know rewriting or reorchestrating one cue maybe six times um, making sure it all flows together making sure it can transition at any point throughout the score but in a seamlessly musical way um, I enjoy those those challenges to be honest um, also I, you know I mean I'm a gamer myself and I think uh, the type of music I write is, is perfect for these kind of games I mean Yes, I want to do more um, film work as well, but it would have to be some, you know, quite quite big scale things to actually attract me to those kind of projects because that's the kind of music, in, in my opinion, I'm I'm best at and then I enjoy the most. So, you know, I, I like to I like to do different projects in different media, and it just depends what they are and you know the the people involved and the time scale and the budget. It, it's really dependent on a number of factors, to be honest. But as as long as I feel challenged and I can have a creative voice, then uh, then I'm there. And when it comes to those technological challenges you were talking about, I'm, I'm guessing that those keep moving, those keep advancing. So how is it for you to keep adapting your, your work process? Or do you? I mean, is, is your work process consistent and the implementation folks are worrying about the, the way the technology changes? Or does it trickle down to you as well? It definitely trickles down to me. I mean, I, I sort of keep abreast of every development of the technology as it happens. And, and as you said, it is very fast moving and it's changing almost almost weekly, certainly every month, those kind of things. Because what it does then is open up different options, different possibilities for the way I'm going to implement the score. And, you know, a lot of times I will work with the developer to actually implement the score, but I will have a large input on that and a lot of scores I do implement all myself. So so knowing those boundaries and those goalposts and, and how much they've moved since my last project is, is so crucial because I might approach the score in a completely different way. I mean, it's very rare that I approach um, a score in, in the same way twice anyway because, you know, the games I work on are so different and the technology just does move very quickly. So we might want to create an interactive score using six or eight layers of material. We might want to use it creating, creating loops and stingers and some of the cinematic sections as well have to be factored in. So, you know, I, I like that challenge. I like being kept on my toes. I like being pushed hard. It's, it's when I do my best work. I, you know, create good work under pressure. Um, even though the hours suck sometimes, it's uh, it's certainly a roller coaster ride, and it's you know I like I like feeling alive while I'm writing. <laughs> so we're in a we're in a world now where there's a lot of middleware technology available to a games composer. So that's you know for people that don't know the terminology, it's it's basically just a piece of software that can slot into any game that can actually 
it's like its own music engine. It's, it's the core piece of technology that actually plays back the music within the game. Um, there's there's two major pieces of middleware technology out there now, which is um, WIs and FMOD, and um, they're being adopted a lot in, in a lot of games. And of course, many companies have their own proprietary in-house technology. So for someone like myself, I'd have to get to know how that works as well. And then, of course, there's lots of um, non-disclosure issues and confidentiality issues with that because I've been doing this for the best part of 17 years now, and that, that's quite a lot of experience um, for people, you know, people, a lot of people have been doing it three to five years, etc. So I've seen the changes go through different hardware platforms, different software technologies, how the music has changed, how the music's implemented, <laughs> recording budgets, etc., etc. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't mind sharing my my experiences with, with other composers or other uh, games companies or, or, you know, some of the students that are coming through the educational establishment because... It just helps everyone, really. You know, to to it helps it helps our industry if we've got people coming into the to the industry at the bottom bottom of the ladder, knowing what they're doing and what's expected of them. Um, because I mean, in in you know, back in the day, we we probably used to be looked down on from the film music community, and uh, I, I don't think that's the case anymore. And it's certainly with the the quality of video game soundtracks that are available now, um, that that certainly isn't the case. And I'm sure that all of the people you mentioned really appreciate the fact that you actually do go out there and share that vast amount of experience. But I'm glad you mentioned film composers because I had a something that I'm wondering about. As a veteran of game audio, how are you looking upon this new trend of, of bringing in career film composers to do video game scores? Well, for a start, it doesn't bother me. I think it's a good thing generally because it shows that games companies are taking music seriously in their products which i think is a great thing i do feel that some film composers don't really take the time to get to know the technology and you know it may be just a a small project in between their next big big budget movie or they may get one of their um writing team to work on it that happens a lot um which i think is a shame you know i always put you know, a thousand percent into everything that I do, um, including all, all the game stuff. So, I know in, in general, I've, I've got no problem with it, you know, and we're starting to see it go the other way with people like Michael Giacchino starting in the games industry, and um, I certainly certainly have to be doing some more as well. The, uh, the reason I'm asking it is actually because I'm wondering if you have a stance on whether or not game music should be different from film music, like whether it should have some sort of distinguishing style or... I don't think there should be a style for game music and a style for film music at all. I, I think the more creative composers can be and, you know, bring more to the table, creatively speaking, I think that's, that can only be a good thing. Because I think three to five years ago, the games industry was starting to become a little bit stale. You know, there were, a lot of people from the film music community were saying, well, you know, video games, they're either trying to be, you know, trying to do another Lord of the Rings soundtrack or another Star Wars type soundtrack. And that's really not true. Um, you know, I challenge anyone to, to pick up a score in the, in the last three to five years. And um, there's a lot of really brilliant, brilliantly creative original material happening in games just like that. As in, they are um, happening in films, so I don't think they need to sound like um, you know this is from a game or this is from a film. I don't think that at all. I think they should cross pollinate more and more. I think as long as the um, film music community recognise that the, the function of music in a game might be slightly different than it is in a film, because you know we're not, we're not a linear media and we do have interactive music requirements. Um, I think you know the days of getting a big name composer just to create some wonderful linear music that doesn't actually respond to anything that's happening in the game. I think those days are coming to an end pretty soon because people are wising up to the fact that that games are are very different and and should be should be treated um, so. 
when I started working in film TV, going back sort of 10, 15 years, I mean, I did a lot of, I did about 50 TV commercials in quite a short space of time, and that was where I learned the main differences, and this was not long after I started in games myself, so um, I understood from a very, you know, very early point in my career that the differences of how I would approach a linear media or, or even a cutscene in the game and how it approached the interactive nature of a, of a video game score compared to that of film and TV and I, I approach them completely differently um, because they are very different beasts. So as a parting idea I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball here and uh, take a look into the future and sort of predict for me you know what direction you think game audio is going in and what innovations we might see and if it's going to change in some significant way um, I think in general, I mean, certainly over the last few years, we've seen major advances in surround sound audio, also the storage capacity of um, games consoles, so we can have more music and it can be of higher quality. Now we're kind of leveling out, really. You know, we, we can record orchestras, we can get vocalists and rock bands and whatever. Everything's in pop at one surround. So now it's, it's going to be limited by mainly the creative choices of the composer or, or what the game company is looking for. But I think the main advances will be seen will be in interactive music because as these tool sets get more complicated and more advanced, the composing community have been saying to the tool developers, you know, we, we want to be able to do this and why can't we do this and we'd like to be able to try this. And those guys are really listening to the composing community, which is, which is a great thing to happen. So I think in the next sort of three to five years, we're going to see much more advances on the, the game engine technology side of things, especially the, the music engines. And I think as long as composers adopt that and can you know, use that technology really well, then game scores will become more and more interactive and it'll be a more seamless experience and it will be a you know, much more interactive experience for the player. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Richard. We wish you the best of luck with your ongoing work and hope to speak with you again soon. Thanks for the opportunity. Great to talk to you. To all you at home, make sure to check out Bloodstone 007, now available where games are sold. Thanks for listening to the Soundcast and keep checking tracksounds.com for the latest film and video game soundtrack reviews. Until next time, this is Marius Masselar wishing you a musical day.